everybody. Welcome to the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Ethan Jago, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, we are going to be discussing something very relevant to um, a class I've been teaching lately on the holiness and attributes of God. And this is going to be dealing specifically with the deity of Christ. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this, um, there is uh, a lot of controversy behind the person and work of Jesus in the New Testament. Was Jesus God? Uh, did Jesus claim to be God? Uh, how was Jesus both God and man? What did this look like? Did he know that he was God? What was his deity like? How did those two natures mix together? And this this is something I think that's very important because uh, there's been recent statistical releases and studies that have been indicating and showing that people believe, sadly, within the evangelical world that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. Uh, or Jesus is a phenomenal moral example of who we should be kind of modeling our lives off of, but it's not really God. And really, when you think about this, it attacks the doctrine of the Trinity, the Godhead, right? We have the three in one, one essence with three distinct persons. And if Jesus is not God, then the Trinity is non-existent. And if the Trinity is non-existent, then a lot of what the Bible teaches is false. So as you can hear, there's a lot of uh, different things that go into kind of unpacking this. And whereas we're not going to spend so much time explaining the two natures, uh, what we're going to be looking at today is, one, when did this come about? Uh, what was the Council of Nicaea? Then also we're going to be looking at the London uh, Baptist Confession of Faith as well to try and answer these questions as well as some scripture verses. So the first thing is, is uh, you got to think back. Uh, let's, let's go back to third century. Uh, in third century, we had an individual come on the scene named Arius, and he was a priest and he came out of Alexandria, Egypt. And this was one of the hottest debates uh, of the time in which it, it took several uh, different councils and such to kind of combat what Arius was teaching, which is also known as Arianism. Now, if you're not familiar with Arius or Arianism, here's just the easiest thing to uh, kind of, I guess you could say, put your feather in your cap on what it is. Essentially, what it is, is that Jesus was a created being. So when God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus is the first of creation. So God created Jesus at the beginning of the creation of the earth and that Jesus was, in fact, a created being. And with that, too, uh, Arius broke this down into three different ways of understanding. Um, and this was kind of what was put forward at the Council of Nicaea is that Jesus was of a different substance as the Father. So, again, going back to a Trinitarian belief system, there's one essence in three distinct persons. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They all share in the same essence, and they are all co-equal, co-eternal, sharing in the same attributes, yet they have different functions. So Arius's view was that Jesus was of a different substance, and he taught that Jesus was the Son of God, but he was a created being. Therefore, he said, since he is a created being, he comes from a different substance or essence from the Father. And with this, Jesus or Christ is not equal in his authority or deity with the Father, so basically, it's just denying that Jesus is God and teaching instead that he is a creature. So as you can think about this, if Jesus was a creature, what kind of a sacrifice could a creature have done? What does that mean for eternal salvation and security? 
uh, you know, you, you kind of see this kind of unraveling here very quickly. So this is something that needs to be addressed. And you may be thinking, well, this, you know, this was kind of a, uh, an issue back in the third and fourth century, but this is something that still comes to light today uh, in our era as people start to question, well, who was in fact Jesus? Well, Jesus was a good person, a uh, great moral example, but he wasn't God. Well, for our faith, Jesus is God. Jesus is co-equal with God. And we have to understand and study the attributes of God and then see how this applies to his son, Jesus. So as we look at some texts here real quick, I want to kind of unpack some common misunderstood verses that people often refer to um, that is misunderstood, especially by uh, anyone who may affirm or believe that Jesus, they may not call themselves you know, followers of Arius because that'd be kind of weird, but they may be kind of adhering to something along those lines. So when we look at um, Isaiah 9, 6, or we look at Matthew 1, 23, we see that Jesus was prophetically told or in the prophecy of the Old Testament and even in the New that Jesus is going to be God, that the Messiah coming is going to be God incarnate in the flesh. And so we see that there is biblical references and uh, assurances that the Bible does teach this, that this isn't something that uh, a bunch of guys got together uh, at the Council of Nicaea and decided to think, hey, you know what, we've got to make this fit. We've got to come up with some kind of a backup to uh, make this or project this into the text. But in fact, it does actually say this. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, I remember reading this from the ESV, it says this, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So think about that. We often hear that verse used during Christmas time, but the child is going to be born, and he will bear those names. And in the Old Testament culture, you do not use or <laughs> throw those names around very lightly. So they would not have been saying this if this was speaking about the birth of the Messiah in a metaphorical sense. So from a Jewish perspective in the Old Testament, this was literally to be conceived that there is going to be God coming in the flesh. Uh, and this kind of attests to that. Now, the next thing is, did Jesus claim to be God? You know, some people argue, well, no, he did not. Uh, you know, he there are several passages in the New Testament where it looks like he, he needs God to kind of supernaturally come down. And without getting too much in the hypostatic union, you have to understand God is, or excuse me, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. That's the hypostatic union. And again, it's very difficult to kind of segment that in our minds to really make that make sense. But here's a passage um, about Jesus talking to affirm, in fact, he has always existed. In John chapter 17, verse 5, it says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So this passage here shows us that he has always had this glory, that this has been something that he has been in possession since the beginning of time, since eternally past, right? So when you look at this, we see that Jesus is affirming that he is already in possession of the glory of God and he is deity. The interesting thing is, is that, you know, well, how did this deity coincide with his human nature? We don't really quite know. Uh, all that we do know is that what the text says, and we have to take that and trust that. So we also have in John chapter one, verse one, this is a, I think this is one of my most favorite passages, especially in the Greek. Um, I'm going to read this in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So that word word is being used 
uh, especially if you look at like Greco-philosophical systems to refer to the Logos, to refer to Jesus, to refer to the Son. And this is attesting that in the beginning was the word Jesus, and the Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, again, reaffirming that he has always been. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So now it's even hinting at an attribute of God called the aseity of God, or that God is self-existent. God is not dependent upon or contingent of anything or anyone necessary for his existence. He exists necessarily. He necessarily exists and does not need anyone or anything to include his creation. But also more importantly from this, that is definitely very important, but this is also affirming the deity of Jesus and that Jesus has always existed and that Jesus was in fact God. And then we get into uh, other passages in which uh, when you read this through the light of Exodus chapter 3 verse 14, with, it says, I am that I am. And then Jesus is also using this I am statement. This is basically a fact. Uh, this is a state of being. He is. Uh, he's not becoming. He is not evolving into. He is. He is who he says he is. So as we look at this, um, the, 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 this issue kind of coming up from, you know, the Council of Nicaea that kind of got together that really addressed this uh, without getting too much of uh, all the details. The Council of Nicaea met in 325 A.D., and what happened was um, they came up with the, you know, the Arius was stating, well, Jesus was of a different substance. And so they put forth three different statements to firm, to figure out, well, which is most accurately uh, reliable to the biblical text is, is it, is Jesus of a different substance? Is Jesus of the same substance or is Jesus of a similar substance? So what you got to look at is of a different substance. We've already ruled that out. Now let's jump down to of a similar substance. Is Jesus of a similar substance? Well, when Arius originally held to his of a different substance after the Council of Nicaea, he kind of flip-flopped and went back to, okay, well, fine. He's at least of a similar substance. Um, so again, it was a small compromise on his part, but it wasn't clear enough yet. Uh, and they ended up having to get back together. But what this is suggesting is that the son, Jesus, was of a similar substance to the father. And it's just, it's playing on words here. It just is minimizing the differences that existed between the father and son. Now, what's interesting is Athanasius, uh, if you don't know anything about Athanasius, you need to read about him. He refused to accept this position. And what he understood was the word similar still means different. Similar doesn't mean the same. Similar means it's like, but not fully. Right, So the way in which we view the deity of Jesus is Jesus is of the same substance. He is the same substance. And so what we're looking at here is that Jesus was not a created being. Rather, he is the eternal son of God who is co-equal to the father because God the son is eternal. Just like the father, he is of the same substance or essence as the father. In other words, what we look at is Jesus is God teaching that he is not a creature, but the uncreated creator. So now I'm going to shift real quick as we're wrapping this up to the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. So if you look at chapter eight of this, I don't know how many of you have ever read this, but it's phenomenal. Uh, and when you look at creeds and confessions, creeds and confessions are so helpful for us in modern day to see that one, the things that we're dealing with is nothing new, but it helps to look back into the past to figure out how did they handle this? What should be our position and how could we handle this? 
So in chapter eight of the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689, if you look at paragraph two, I'm just going to read this straight from it. The son of God, this is a testing again, let me quickly qualify this. This is again, arguing for the deity of Jesus. This is a confession saying like, this is what we adhere to. This is what we believe about Jesus and his deity. The son of God, the second person in the Holy Trinity, being very an eternal God, the brightness of the father's glory, one of substance and equal with him who made the world. You see, you see they're equal with him who upholds and governs all things he has made did when the fullness of time was complete, take upon him man's nature. So now you see, we're seeing the human nature, the human form coming onto him with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof. Now that's key. Jesus didn't come on and like put on a show to make it look like he was human. No, he fully took on human flesh without actually sinning. And that's key for the sacrifice and for Jesus to have gone through the temptation. And you may even refer back to Jesus as the second Adam, the way in which some people have alluded to. This is going back to Genesis 3.15 as the redemptive plan that was enacted all the way back that through the seed lineage of uh, Eve going into Jesus. So he had to be both God and man for one, the eternality of the sacrifice, and then two, to fulfill the redemptive act here. Okay. So, and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, which is key, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her in the whole in the power of the Most High, overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the scriptures, so that the two whole, perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person. I'm going to hit a pause right there. The inseparably is key because Jesus did not take different forms at different portions of his life. You don't see in Matthew chapter four or five, you know, earthly Jesus. And then in Matthew eight, now this is God, Jesus, right? It was inseparable. It, those two natures were conjoined together. Um, so that's just key. All right. So they were joined together in one person. Also, hold on, let me hit pause real fast. There's other views that when Jesus died, the deity of Jesus left. And so all that was left was the, the corporeal body of Jesus, the human nature of Jesus. And again, that's incorrect. And people do that to try and defend God, saying, well, you can't kill God. Well, correct, but you still have a human nature mixed with the divine nature, both 200%. Again, how, how can I explain that any better? I don't know other than you have to just accept the text, right? Okay, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man? Now I'm going to jump to paragraph three. The Lord Jesus, in his human nature, thus united to the divine in the person of the Son, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that the being, holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of mediator and surety, which office he took not upon himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who also put all power and judgment in his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. So what this is explaining here is that through this nature, he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform the miraculous acts, to live on earth, to be the perfect sacrifice. So now I'm going to jump over to paragraph seven of chapter eight of the London Baptist Confession. Christ in the work of mediation acts according to both natures. So we see a harmony between the two natures. By each nature doing that which is proper to itself, yet by reason of the unity of the person, that which is proper to one nature is sometimes in scripture attributed to the person denominated by the other nature. 
So that's just a beautiful way of explaining kind of like how this worked together as best as we can understand this in analogical terms in our language. Uh, it's very difficult for us to fully wrap our minds around this into how this really makes sense. But I, I hope that you're seeing here that um, the scripture does in fact attest to the deity of Jesus. Jesus did in fact also view himself as co-equal with God. Um, and you have other passages in which people kind of push back on this. But the big thing is, is that you have to understand the Trinity and that the operations in how the Trinity works together is inseparable. You do not have separable operations. You do not have hierarchical claims within the Trinity. You have co-equal, co-eternal, inseparable operations. The Son is not inferior to the Father. The Spirit is not inferior to either. They are all co-equal, sharing the same attributes, different functions, different persons sharing in one essence. I hope this helps. Um, let me know what you guys think. If you want to hear some more about this, uh, shoot me a, a message, comment, leave a review. Um, but I hope you enjoyed today's podcast as we talked and discussed about the deity of Jesus. Thanks for joining the Battlefield Theologian Podcast. My name's Ethan signing off, and I will hear and see from you guys next time. Bye.